I read a book recently titled The Righteous Mind, and uh, it, it, it is subtitled, Wow, Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, and it's, it's not an easy read. Um, it's by a man named Jonathan Haidt. He's not a, a follower of Jesus. In fact, I think he's probably moved more over time as he's been studying, but I found it very interesting because he comes from it from a scientific perspective, and in, in, it's one of the soft sciences, but he, he talks about it from psychology and then anthropology, and he's looking at how people have gotten to where they're at. And he says at one point, almost two-thirds into the book, so far this book I've painted a portrait of human nature in a somewhat cynical way, which I think is interesting, because he's really painting the picture of human nature the way the Bible describes it. And these, the, the, his, his, his picture is based on actual scientific, verifiable studies and testing. And he says, I've argued we care more about looking good than truly being good. Intuitions come first, strategic reasoning second, which is the whole idea being that you, you kind of intuitively hold something, then you build the reason for it afterwards. He says, we lie, cheat, cut ethical corners quite often when we think we can get away with it, and then we use our moral thinking to manage our reputations and justify ourselves to others. We believe our post hoc reasoning, kind of the after the fact reasoning, so thoroughly that we end up self-righteously convinced of our own virtue. And he's pointing to human nature. He's pointing to often people who are religious and involved in the church. He's saying in a basic sense, all human nature, all human beings are really Pharisees of their own making. In fact, at one point he, he says in, in this study of his, he, he, he says, you know, Ed Koch, the brash mayor of New York City in the 1980s, was famous for greeting constituents with the question, how am I doing? Remember that? How am I doing? It was a humorous reversal of the usual New York, how you doing? But it conveyed the chronic concern of elected officials. And he says, few of us will ever run for office, yet most of the people we meet belong to one of our constituencies that we want to win over. Research suggests that we are all unconsciously asking the mayor's question every day in almost every encounter. And if you think about it, that's probably true. What do you think of me? How's they sizing me up? And sometimes what's most present in our mind is about how externally we're looking and appearing and often are seeking to look good. And Jesus, in this this little beatitude, disrupts that. He disrupts it. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to say this together. And I want you to notice the things that are disruptive. Blessed are the pure, well, that's okay, in heart, for they will see God. And what's really interesting and disruptive about that is all throughout the Old Testament, we're told, you won't see God, you won't see God, no one can see God. Moses, the most pure, most humble guy in the world, could only see the backside as he passed by. And Jesus comes along and says, guess what? Pay attention to those who appear in heart. You're going to receive blessing. And guess what? You're going to see God. Let's say it together.
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's say it with more vivor and vim. Ready? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would cause us to have really open hearts to be able to take this word of yours and seek to understand it. And I'm just asking, Spirit of God, as you have spoken to my heart, speak to the hearts of others and and purify our hearts. We want to see you. We want to be people of blessing so that you can be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to take... um, Kind of, kind of look at the idea of seeing, because purity, you know, your vision's good, you see well, that's your purity heart, you see well, and, 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 and there's a real important thing that we're going to look at here, we're going to look at three lines of thought that I would like to kind of bring you through, and uh, I'll try and go through them in a kind of orderly and, and, and uh, a fashion that helps you um, get the, the point. When, when you care about what God sees, that's going to be the, the main one for each three of these, when you care about what God sees... That's kind of what Jesus is kind of saying. And when you care about what God sees, you'll care about your heart. When you care about what God sees, you'll see what God sees. When you care about what God sees, you'll begin to see God. Isn't that interesting? Those are the three lines of thought that I just want to kind of have us look at because the voice of God is disruptive in our lives. Blessings become counterintuitive, and that's what God is trying through Jesus' words here to help us understand. He wants to disrupt our lives with this, with this beatitude and says, you want to be a person of blessing this next week? It may mean you have to walk differently than the rest of the culture around you. You may have to walk differently than religious people walk. You have to walk like Jesus. See, when you care about what God sees, you will care about the heart. And it seems like a no-brainer in one sense, because it doesn't really come naturally, though, how we live. I think that's why Jesus says, in heart. Jesus is always. He, I, when I meet with guys and I do in groups that I mentor, I always am pointing our group back to the heart. Everything about Jesus is about the heart. He focuses on the heart always. He'll, he'll use actions in order to expose the heart. Everything he did and taught on can be traced back to the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. If you look at the Beatitudes, you'll see that the Beatitudes is really the setup of the follower who wants to come and wants to be with Jesus, wants the blessed life, wants to walk under the the eyes of God, so to speak. And if you begin to have these Beatitudes form your character and who you are, he then goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of it, and he's talking about your conduct. He's saying if the reality of who you are are these beatitudes of of poverty and and mournfulness and meekness and hunger for what is right and a a mercy towards others and a pureness that you want in your heart, as you begin to have those things begin to form your heart and who you are, you'll practically see it being played out in these ways which he talks about through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he says, if you want a practical application to the, to the heart that lives in the reality of, of this world, the way that God has made it, you can see how it's played out here. He begins after this, um, the Beatitudes in chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, he talks about salt and light. And he uses salt and light really to illustrate the character he's just talked about. He's basically saying, if this is your character, you'll be like salt. You cannot help but flavor the world around you. Preserve the world that you're in. 
Have an impact on the people you work with in the home that you're a part of. If the character of God is a part of who you are, you will be like light. It's not like you're trying to be light, like, oh God, make me shine a little bit. It's that you will become the light that can't be hidden. So if you want to understand how this continues, he says, here's your character, then here's your conduct. He gives that illustration. And then he wants to make sure, when he's talking about disruption, he is talking about a disruption that he is going to bring, which will set aside the temple, the sacrifice, the ceremonial laws, all these things. But he does say here, he doesn't disrupt in any way the law of God, the will of God. In fact, he's actually come to fulfill it, not abolish it. But he comes to fulfill it through a heart that experiences and receives the love of God. And then is controlled by the love of God because the one who is controlled by the love of God needs no law. And then he gives a bunch of examples, always going back to the heart. Is it pure? Is it ruled by love? Do you care about what God sees and not what man notices? And so in verse 21 of chapter 5, he talks about murder. He says, you guys are all hung up on the act of murder when it's lying right in your heart. Hatred is the seed of it. You guys are all caught up on adultery is the next thing he talks about. You're all caught up on the act of being unfaithful and your heart is filled with all kinds of unfaithful lust. And he goes through all these different things and he comes to a point in chapter 6, even verses 5 through 15, he starts talking about prayer. He says not only do you kind of try and avoid sin and deny what's going on in the heart, but then you try and look good rather than being good, and you'll pray in such ways that people will notice and go, wow, isn't, aren't they spiritual? Or you'll fast in such ways that you'll bring attention to yourself so people go, wow, what a hunger for God they have. And he keeps just going through this, and it's all about externals, the praise of people, approval and significance by what others see, about living in comparison of others. It just is Jesus intuitively, from the Word of God, from God himself, sharing with us truth that they're just trying to verify now by science. And this focus about caring what others are looking at causes, it will cause you, it causes me to manipulate people with our words and our actions in order to control them so that they can see us the way they, we want them to see us, right? We live as if God doesn't see, and he does. He's never fooled. And that's what Jesus comes to show. He sees the heart. It makes you ask questions like, what causes a popular, wealthy, respected news anchor, which we love to kind of pile on, people do. Brian Williams. What causes someone like that to bend the truth by some 40 miles and say that the missile almost hit his helicopter? What's that about? What's that about as a pastor going to a theology conference and here you're at a theology conference and one of the pastors, they're talking to each other and someone asks one of the pastors, how big is your church? And the pastor says, well, we're about 2,000 when in fact you know their church is only about 1,200. I always think to myself, if someone asks me how big a place that is, I'm going to tell them 5,000 people. (laughs) Because I kind of think if you want to be impressive, go all the way. You know, it's go big or go home. But we, we can't do that because if you go too much, you'll be exposed. You, can just, you just want to be a little bit more impressive than you think the person knows. We all bend the truth, and that's what Jesus is saying. But he's saying if you really care about what God sees, you're going to begin to pay attention to your heart. What's going on in there? 
Loving God and living conscious and aware of his presence disrupts the pretense of sin in our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. Loving God so much that you live conscious and aware of his presence, that presence has a way of disrupting the pretense of sin. It has a way of disrupting any sin in your heart. I, was, I meet with a group of guys on Tuesday mornings in one of the books we've been going through. The guy talks about trying to live daily aware of the presence of God for 24 hours a day, trying to do that. And so the next Wednesday, I thought, I'm going to get up. And it was a, you know, the Wednesday where we have the prayer here at church at 6 in the morning. So I'm driving to church, and I'm not hardly awake. I'm tired, and I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself, my thoughts are going back and forth, and I'm actually beating myself up with my thoughts. And I'm thinking this is going to be a day I'm going to have God consciously aware, and also to hit me, that's what I was going to be doing. And I thought to myself, I don't think Jesus is in this conversation at all. And I stopped. And he just exposed my heart. When I began to say, Jesus, I want you to be here living in my heart and with me. There's a way of when you kind of have your eye and your heart on Jesus and he then has his eye and his heart on you and you invite him into your life. He really disrupts the stuff that normally causes our thoughts and our heart to become impure. He uses the word pure. There's two meanings to it. One of the meanings is single-mindedness. The other one is cleansing. But single-mindedness describes something that's undiluted, unmixed, unadulterated. It's pure. The heart is unalloyed. Because you care about God's praise and only compare yourself against what he wants for you, then you are fully focused on what your heart looks like before God. And this alone provides blessing. And you're free to be who God has called you to be in Christ. And that is not a heavy burden. The burden you carry is the one that you try and carry out here when your heart is being measured all the time by others. And you're going to look at people that's farther ahead and be depressed. You're going to look at people that are way down here and you're going to feel good about yourself. And neither of those places are where God wants you to be. Peter Briscoe, in an online devotional, someone sent me here from the church, he quotes the BBC News Health Report, which is entitled, Ballet Dancers' Brains Adapt to Spins. It was back in 2013 in September. This, this report came on BBC. And, and that, that's a good thing, that ballet dancers, because anybody, you, know, you, try and, you try and spin, and if you spin for a little bit, if you're like me, you kind of walk away and you're going to fall or you're feeling sick. The report goes on to say, ballet dancers try hard to spin. They use a technique called spotting, focusing on a spot as they spin. It isn't useful for a ballet dancer to feel dizzy or off balance. That's a pretty good thought, you know. Their brains adapt over the years of training to suppress that input. And I had a person come up to me afterwards and said, you know, I was a ballet dancer, and I'm looking at him, and I'm going, really? But anyway, he did show me the picture. That's first service, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but he did show me the picture, and he said, you know what's really interesting? That when you're in a ballet thing and you're in a theater and it's completely dark, you, what do you focus on? What do you think? And I go, I don't know. He goes, the exit lights. They're always the same place. They're always about the same height, and that's what they do. So as they spin, they keep their eyes spotting that, and as they do that, they train themselves not to be able to have their eyes looking at other things, causing them to spin out of balance and, and lose control. Well, Peter Briscoe in his online devotional, he writes, there are enough rules and restrictions in the Old Testament law to make your head spin. 613 to be exact. And most of us don't have a clue to what the 613 rules are, but we know the summary. We know the Big Ten. We all know the Ten Laws. 
Still, the ten are nothing without the other 603 because the word of God has this, does say very clearly that if you follow the law and you choose to follow the law as your way of being right before God, you then have to follow it to the letter. So all 613 are important. Knowing this, one day a young lawyer who was just a Jewish student of law came to Jesus and said, well, so what's the most important law? And, and he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God single-mindedly, purely, absolutely. That's kind of in essence what he said. I paraphrase it, but this is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So can you reduce hundreds of laws, and then in Jesus' day, thousands, because he had the mission, a whole bunch of other writings that the Jews had that had codes and regulations and everything else, so they had thousands that they were trying to abide by. Can you just sum it up in one? And Jesus says, yeah, you can. You can focus. You can have a spot as you go through life that you keep your eye on, and that is love. Peter Briscoe says it this way, if the Christian life is a dance, and I believe it is, then all good dancers know that before they can turn, they must determine their point of spotting. Before we can effectively stand firm in the spin cycle of life, we must determine that Jesus is our point of focus. Because when we focus on Jesus, and Jesus then teaches us what God cares about is our heart, and that begins to be the thing that draws us, and all that is happening in that is we learn the love of God and the love of God flowing through us, and he fulfills all those laws so that we begin to live out the law of God. What happens in that situation in that kind of setting is that God through that begins to purify your heart. It would be really rotten because it is this way. Most of us go through life and we're spinning through life and we're looking at other people and we're comparing ourselves. We're getting down on ourselves. We're getting ourselves beat up and Satan loves that. And then we look at someone and we think we do some good things and we do these things and then we feel good about ourselves and we're on this roller coaster of life. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to see what God sees. What does God see? He sees your heart. He says, I want to see a pure heart. I want to see in your heart purity. And the way that happens is if you keep my eye, your eye on me, Jesus, and you will see in my heart what it means to live in this world and if you do that I will clean up your heart and if you don't have a clean heart you've never asked for that Jesus I'll give you a new heart you just admit the fact that your sin has stained it and caused you to be cut off from him and you might feel cut off from him right now and Jesus comes to you right now and he says guess what I want to give you a new heart it doesn't cost you anything it's just an act of grace and blessed are the pure in heart, says Jesus, because they put their focus on Jesus, who says your blessing rests your blessing rests on caring about what God sees, and what he cares about is that he sees your heart. And when you care about what God sees, you begin to see what God sees. See, as your heart begins to get pure, your heart begins to see more clearly. Things come into focus, reality the way it really is. You know, it's really interesting. Jesus didn't say you should do this and you should do that. Jesus often, when he taught people, said this is just the way things are. He, he had such perfect vision. His heart was so pure, he just saw how things are. And he said, this is the way things are. You can choose to live that way or not. He, he, he would, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you, if you were really good in science, you understood that really well. Your heart was really aligned to what's a scientific laws. You would say to someone, you know, you stand on the top of a building, you choose to jump off it. Gravity is just the way it is. You're going to end up hurting yourself. Jesus would look and he'd say, you know, if your heart is impure, if you, if, you, if you sin, it just disintegrates your soul. It just causes incredible pain and hurt in the lives of others in your own. It's just the way things are. And the only way to get it to the way it should be 
is you pay attention to your heart, you ask for this new heart, and you begin to walk in the cleansing of this new heart through Jesus. You then begin to see things the way Jesus sees things. Last week, George spoke on mercy, and he made a great and I think truly profound point. He said, mercy sees past the sin and sees the heart. Remember, blessed and merciful, so they'll receive mercy. Why? Because God has this incredible ability to look past the sin and see the heart. And I love how wonderfully this, this beatitude flows into this one on purity of heart. God, who has this incredible vision, x-ray vision of sorts, sees through all the junk in our hearts. He sees through the strategies used to protect a wounded heart. He sees through the rebellious things we've done that reveal a guilty heart. He sees through the abuse of things that have been done to you that has left you with a shame-filled, dying heart. He sees through the self-righteous stuff that we do that seeks to hide a really bad heart. He sees the good and bad, and he still loves us. And he doesn't say, come to me with a pure heart. He says, come to me with your heart, and I will make it pure. And as I begin to make it pure, you'll begin to see as I see. The reality is we don't see as God sees till we see ourselves as God sees us. Imagine trying to correct blurry vision of someone else without first making sure that it's not your problem, that your vision isn't blurry, you know, something blurry. I remember when I was in college, and I was sitting in the back of the class, and I began to notice that the teacher, when he would write on the chalkboard, anybody remember chalkboards? As he wrote on the chalkboard, it would be blurry, and I'm thinking to myself, man, he's, he's got to write less blurry. That's silly, right? I didn't really think that. I thought right away about my own eyes, and I thought, I'm wondering if I'm losing some vision here. It would have been dumb for me to go up and say, um, teacher, you know, love your class, but would you write a little bit more defined and clearly? Now, I mean, when I ask a doctor to do that, I understand that, but I'm talking about vision here. And have you ever noticed how we try and change everybody else and we don't pay attention to our own heart? We try and get people, you know, we kind of say, you know, I, I'd really like for you to, to change and do this and do that, and we don't even know maybe what's going on in our heart. We use our desires to get what we want. We tell people to get out of the way, move, do this, meet that, get your act together, and if you get your act together, I'll feel better. We do that in marriage, don't we? And maybe that God's saying, hey, look, I want you to pay attention to your heart. The attitudes are really interesting. They're kind of what I call a heart vision exam. You go to the doctor and the eye doctor, and, and they, he, he says, well, let's look at the eye chart, right? You look at the eye chart, and you're supposed to kind of call out the letters, and they can tell you about how good your vision is by how the letters are either, you know, you see them or you don't see them. There's an interesting thought. When I looked at this whole Beatitudes, Jesus kind of says with this Beatitudes, this is kind of what I call a heart vision exam. He starts with the first one. He goes, let's just take a look. How good are you at being poor in spirit? See, those who are really desperate really come to the place where they understand their sin. They understand the brokenness of their own self. If those kind of people, if you get to that place, guess what? The, the kingdom, the rule, the presence of God enters into those kind of places. Not into the proud, not into the person who's being self-righteous, but the person who can come to the admission and understanding of how much they've blown it and the, the distance they've created in their hurt before themselves and God and before others and themselves personally and he says when you see that you begin to start kind of it's the first work of purifying the heart then you would come to this place of mourning where you begin to say god i just can't believe it it's no longer you're feeling sorry because you got caught you're really getting sorry because i did maybe something to my wife that really hurt her and i don't want to do that again 
I don't want to offend you, God, again. It's not about getting caught. And you, you mourn, and then you move to a place of meekness, and meekness continues to clear your vision because you realize that in the same way that you used to take people and you would use your strength to really hurt them, God didn't do that to you. And it begins to purify your heart more. And as he purifies your heart, he says not only that, he says those people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is right, they're the ones who, they're, they're trying to correct their vision for what is true in reality in this world. And then they move to this place of mercy, mercy because mercy helps you see past things. It gives you a better vision to see the heart of a person. And eventually, now he says, through the eye exam of your heart, guess what? You keep paying attention to those things in your heart, you'll begin to have a pure heart. And in that pure heart, you'll begin to see like Jesus sees. Because good sight begins with a good heart. And as each of these Beatitudes, and you focus on those and what Jesus has to say, and you keep that as your spot throughout life, that spot gives you the ability to develop in your character. And as your character becomes like Christ, those things become a part of who you are. You begin to see as God sees. How many of you have ever played when you went on a road trip, the alphabet game? You know, those long road trips? Come on, raise your hands. I want to see if there's anybody. Yeah, okay, good. <clears throat> then I won't have to explain it to everybody. Because we used to do that. And, you know, as a way to keep the kids entertained. It was a way when my parents were, you know, I was a kid. They kept us entertained for a little bit. And that is that you would be driving along. And outside the car, you try and find a word that starts with A. And when you find that, you kind of say, I found it. And, the other, and then you, you go, I saw it before you did. And then you have a fight. And the parents have to intervene. Anyway. <clears throat> Then they look for the letter B and the B and you try and you know, keep going all the way till you get to Z. And if one gets to Z wins and it's a long time and boy, that's a good thing for parents, right? And I thought to myself, what if we were to do what I think the scripture calls us to do? And we, we played this game and let's call it You See God Sees. You See God Sees. You go throughout life. Let's say you go tomorrow throughout the day and you begin to play this game You See God Sees. And, 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 and if you want to know where the instructions are and, and how to play the game, just look at the New Testament and the Gospel and you see Jesus. And, you, and just look how Jesus sees and you'll see how God sees and you'll kind of be able to see it. And I'll give you just a few examples of the game so you can play it yourself. In Luke chapter 7, as, we, as George mentioned last week, the lady who comes into the room and it's a dinner that is being hosted for Jesus and they would come into the room and, and, and anybody who um, wasn't actually invited to the dinner could come along. It was kind of like a, a time to hear the rabbi and you could stand along the outside of the wall. And usually respectable people would come in, but the, the real guests who are really highly respected would be sitting at the table eating. They had those kind of invitations. They got the food one. They were paying for the $1,500 dinner, that kind of thing, right? Well, in comes this lady. She's a prostitute. They all know she is, and she's coming in, and she has this jar she's holding, and she comes to the feet of Jesus. Now, they're not sitting on chairs. They're actually laying down on the, on the floor, because this is how they'd eat. They'd have a table like this, and they would sit around like this, and, and this lady comes, and she stands before Jesus, and she stands, and then she kneels, and she's on her knees, and she's crying, and tears are coming down her face, and she takes this jar, she opens it, and this perfume begins to waft through the air, and they smell this perfume, and she takes the perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' feet, and they're all looking at her, you see, God sees And, he, and she takes in her hair and she begins to massage and wipe his feet. And what kind of woman would be doing this? And what's going on here? And you see, I see, we see. A sinner, a big sinner. Doing something pretty inappropriate, almost salacious. And we're judging and feel justified. God sees a wounded and shame-filled woman continuing to recycle her abuse and pain. 
And God sees a woman deeply scarred and wounded and overwhelmed with gratitude. And before Jesus kneels a woman deeply moved by the love and acceptance that she sees in the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus sees her as something she's never felt before. She is seen as valuable. In fact, not only valuable, sees her as a treasure. And he doesn't really care what the religious police there around the table are thinking. He basically says, go ahead, write me up. I love her and she loves me a lot more than you did, Simon. You didn't even give me that welcome and greeting and you didn't give me a towel to even clean my feet when I came in. You see God sees. See, when you care about what God sees, you care about your heart. When you begin to care about your heart, you also begin to see as God sees. Zacchaeus, Luke 19. Climbs a tree to get a good seat so he can spot Jesus. Hears about this Jesus coming to town. Knows that Jesus is something else. He's too ashamed of himself and he's also too hated by everyone for him to push himself to the front of the line because he knows no one's going to let him through. He's just too little to get through. He's hated. And so as ingenious as he is, because he always knows how to get to the top, he looks up, sees a tree, and up in the tree he spots a really good seat. You see, I see, we see. Let's play the game. We see a greedy, rotten cheat, a conniving no-good, a hard-hearted little guy with a Napoleon complex. We see a wee little man whom God must just be disgusted with, a despicable traitor, kind of how we look at those today who betray their own, pimps, drug dealers, and child abusers. God sees a little child bullied and mocked, a kid picked on and laughed at. God sees a kid who hated the words on the playground like some of you may have experienced. Okay, let's choose captains and pick teams. God sees a guy waiting to do anything and willing to do anything to get to the top where he can finally feel big, feel significant. Because he's playing by the rules of the game that your eyes and how I look to you make a big difference. And Jesus walks into town and to Zach's utter surprise, Jesus looks up, spots him, singles him out and says, I'm having dinner with you. How about six? And Zach sees in the eyes of Jesus his incredible significance. In the first time in his life, he feels big, not for what he could get and what he could you know, cheat people out of and how he could make himself look big. He felt big because a big, big God just said, I see you. And he sees you. You see, God sees. And when you begin to care what God sees, you begin to see as God sees. You see, God sees the same. Finally, when you care about what God sees, you begin to see God. That's a revelation that was kind of new in a sense. What do you mean you see God? Why don't you say the beatitude again with me, would you? This is really a big deal. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let's say it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you look at Jesus, he doesn't see labels. He sees individuals. If he was to go to work with you, he would see that person probably different than you see them. Every time Jesus looks at someone, he sees the image of God in them. Every time. 
And I'm not talking about some kind of pantheistic, panentheistic kind of idea that God dwells in everything. He sees the mark of God created on that child. That's what we're told. Every child has some kind of imprint, as distorted as it may be in your life right now. God still sees it. And people who begin to grow pure in heart begin to see God in other people. That image of God. And Jesus doesn't only see the image of God in others, but he actually sees the work of God in and through others. That's what I love. Here is Jesus. He comes into this room. He's sitting down. He's having dinner. And this prostitute comes in, and she's crying with gratefulness in her heart. And here she is, and Jesus sees God, his spirit, working in and through her, transforming her. This woman who used to sell herself to others is now sold out to God. And he's seeing a transformation in her whole being. For the first time, she's beginning to treasure the fact that she is God's child. She no longer has to give herself to those things which mar her the image of God in her. She's now transforming. Jesus sees it. You know, the other guys in the room, other people, they didn't see it. To the pure, all things are pure. They begin to see things. He sees Zacchaeus. He sees Zacchaeus in a tree. And he says, there's a tree. There's a guy. He, he's one of us. What? And he goes to his house and he takes some time to meet with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, at the end of the time, Jesus sees God working in Zacchaeus' life. Because Zacchaeus says, you know what? I've amassed all this money. I've cheated people. And I'm not just going to give them back a little bit. I'm not going to do even just what the law requires. I'm going to be so generous. I'm going to give beyond that. I'm going to give more than I'm supposed to do. Because the way you've been generous to me, God, the way you've been generous to me, Jesus, I just want to give as much as I can. I just want to, I just want to love people now. Jesus saw that. Because when you begin, when you begin to really look at what Jesus is looking at, when you look at what God begins to look at, you begin to see God in your life. One of my, one of my favorite illustrations of this whole thing is, is, is found in, in, in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verses 47 through 51. And it's about the story of Nathaniel. And just before I share that, I just want to share with you these words that I think are really important to kind of give a little flavor to. As Francis Frangipan writes in, in a book called Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God, he says, spiritual perception is based on purity of heart. What we see in life and how we see it is rooted in the soil of our inner thought life. If we would experience a clear and open sight view of God's kingdom, a pure heart is most essential. So now, Jesus meets this disciple Nathaniel for the first time, and as he comes in, he says, Behold, look, see, he's basically saying to people, Look, he's playing the, the UC God see game. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. There's no guile, no denial, there's no deceit in this man's heart. In a sense, he had kept as best he could himself from self-deception. And when you cleave to the truth inwardly, is which he was doing, you begin to see and perceive truth outwardly. And if you listen to Nathaniel's response, it's interesting. He says, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. He had no trouble whatsoever seeing God in Jesus. And then listen to the next words of Jesus. You shall see greater things than these. I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What in the world does that mean? You'll see the heavens open. He's not talking about the sky. 
He's using language that you would use for a child to be able to understand it because that's what they would think of the sky and God up there. That goes back to the book of Genesis when Jacob was running away from his brother Esau and he's laying on a pillow and he's afraid that he's leaving the land of his God and he has this vision of this ladder of angels coming up and down and the whole idea is that the, the presence and reality of God, heaven itself is going with you. You're not leaving the God just because you're going to this new territory. So what is he saying? He's saying here, Nathaniel, because of your purity of your heart, the realm of the spirit, the heavens is what this means in scripture. There's different meanings for it. It means the heavens. The realm of the spirit, he says, will be open to you. In a sense, the curtain that divides that which is spiritual from that which is physical will become very thin because of your pure heart. And you're going to see God moments like you've never seen before. One other thing I just want you to know. When we talk about this and being able to see God in this life now, this is not church. This is not about some kind of fascination with the supernatural, some kind of seeking after an experience for the sake of an experience. Hear me really clearly on this. This is just what happens when a person and a people seek a pure heart. The heavens, that curtain becomes thin. Francis Frangipani, I'll say it one more time and then we're going to close. Remember, we are not seeking experiences. We are not seeking a pure... We are actually seeking a pure heart. We are not running after visions. We want holiness. Even as the supernatural realm was an expected experience in the early church, so also was, the pure, was purity the expected condition in their hearts. They go together. You must seek sanctification, and when you are ready, if God wills, you can't demand it from him, He shall speak to you in supernatural ways. He will open the heavens for you to see him at work. But don't conjure up an experience with Jesus. Seek to have a clean heart, allowing Christ to examine and purge you daily. And as he washes you with his word and chastens you with his holiness, he will draw you into his presence and he will open your eyes as he desires. How cool is that? I'm going, God, disrupt me. Create in me a pure heart. I'm going to ask the team to come and just lead us in worship. And, and as they do so, I'd love for you to just listen to this song. I, 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 when we was going through a tough time not too long ago, I, I would listen to this song. Um, and I would play it in my quiet time when I wanted my heart to be pure. And I'd listen to the comfort that comes from it. And I'd also examine my heart through the words of it. So I'm going to ask you, kind of with maybe a bowed head, just to, to, to not visually even take it in, but to receive this in this quiet moment.